This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along as we bring you a Q&A special here on Blood Red. Before we get to that, though, we will be paying our respects to former Liverpool goalkeeper Ray Clements, who sadly passed away aged 72 on Sunday+. Plus. We will also get into the Reds' growing injury list. Joining me to tackle your questions, quaking in their boots, or should I say slippers, Ian Doyle, Matt Addison and Theo Squires. Gentlemen, how are we all? Okay, yourself? Not so bad, thank you. Matt and Theo, you all right? Yes, not bad, not bad, not bad. I never want to speak in case somebody else speaks at the same time. I never know the order that we should go in. I am okay, thank you. Happy days, good stuff. Uh, Doyle, come to to you first, and we will, as I said, pay respect to Ray Clements. Very, very sad news that came out on, on Sunday. Yeah, it was. I mean, we've known for obviously some time he was diagnosed with prostate cancer back in 2005 and he's had a battle ever since against it and uh, associated ailments. But uh, that doesn't make it any less sad, the, the news of his passing. I mean, anybody who's been a Liverpool fan for any period of time, length of time, will know that he's probably the, the greatest goalkeeper the club's ever had. And you've seen the outpouring of emotion from everybody who played with him, everybody who worked with him, whether it be at Liverpool, Tottenham, at England as well. It just seems that he's very likable, very likable fellow. But he was, but he was also obviously a great goalkeeper, and he was the the player who helped turn Bill Shankly's second team, as it were, in the early seventies into a team under Bob Paisley. Who ended up becoming world, uh, sorry, becoming European champions three times, and you know, he won five league titles. He, he won the FA Cup in nineteen seventy four, and uh, you know there isn't really much else that we, we can say that's that's to add to what's already been said by uh, everybody else, those who who knew him better than any of us. Yeah, Matt, on that note, you spoke to a couple of his former teammates and they, they, of course, were glowing tributes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Everyone that that you speak to, that you see, anybody associated with Liverpool, it was, you know, really touching to to see the tributes from all sorts of people, whether it's, you know, past teammates and you can read, obviously, the thoughts of people like Phil Thompson and and Ian Callaghan and plenty of others across the Liverpool Echo website. Jurgen Klopp as well paid his tributes. And yeah, that's the the thing, isn't it? You know, when somebody passes away, it, it is a very... Very sad time, but I think it, it's clear how much you know he meant on and off the pitch, how much of a, a Liverpool legend he was in in every single regard, from the comments and, and the words that have been spoken since. Because you know it, it's quite clear from whoever you speak to, you know whether it's as I say, former teammates, whether it's you know current goalkeepers, Adrian and, and Alison both sent their messages. You know everybody from from then to now has, has not got a bad word to say about him. No, Theo, as Doyle said there, the achievements, five league titles, three European Cups. He was also involved in a couple of UEFA Cup wins, FA Cup and League Cup wins as well. It's hard to imagine anyone even emulating or getting anywhere near what Ray Clements achieved for, for Liverpool as the goalkeeper. Yeah, he's the pinnacle, isn't he? It's like whenever any goalkeeper comes to Liverpool, it's always, are they the best since Ray Clements living up to the records he set? which is quite remarkable when you think that you've got the majority of the fan base that won't really have seen him play that much. Like, obviously, we've all seen clips of Bruce Grobar, most famously the spaghetti legs, and he achieved so much himself. But it's always been, he wasn't Ray Clements. It doesn't matter how many clean sheets an Alisson gets or a Pepe Rainer. It's always goes back to Clements. He is just this legendary figure in Liverpool Football Club. And you can tell from listening to old clips of him or any interviews or anything, he's a man who loved his football and he is loved by football. And he's a tragic loss. 
Um, I remember him most, really, from being the England goalkeeping coach. So even when he was ill, he was still as heavily involved as he could be. I think um, we've had a number of England managers from the past, like Pelo, Ericsson, they've come out pay tribute to him as well. Um, I briefly uh, crossed paths with him when I was at Bolton because I think his uh, son-in-law's former old manager, Dougie Friedman, and there he always come and watch games because he's just a man who loves his football, even when he's battling ill health or out the game. And it was just horrible, sad news for everyone who knew him. So thoughts with his friends, his family, and all Liverpool fans can just remember what a legendary goalkeeper he was looking at his uh, records from yesteryear. Yeah, certainly so, and well put. Um, let's move on, though, and get on to Liverpool's, well, what seems to be mounting injury list. It didn't look great after the City game, Trent having to go off injured, but since then, there's been reports around Mohamed Salah and a, a positive COVID test. Jordan Henderson had to come off after England's game against Belgium yesterday, and Andy Robertson didn't even feature for Scotland. It's not looking all too good on the injury front. No, I mean, it's going to say, you do it anything on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but they, might, they might need you down at Anfield. Um, but yeah, it's uh, well, Mohamed Salah, we know he, uh, he he got a positive coronavirus test, so it's almost certain he's not going to be playing against Leicester next on Sunday, I should say. But there, I think Egypt, they came out today. Um, whether it was the, the, the whoever the, the minister in the Egypt in Egypt who looks after coronavirus tests cases, I should say, he said that uh, he expects him to to pass his test on Thursday and then make his way back to Liverpool, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be able to play. Um, then, yeah, Andy Robertson didn't play for Scotland. He had a tight hamstring after the game where they beat Serbia to get through to the uh, European Championships. And Jordan Henderson, he came off at half-time for England. So, I mean, there's still another round of games to go in the UEFA Nations League, so God knows what, what's going to happen. Liverpool players, uh, Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp and the, his coaching staff will just be praying that nobody gets injured again. It'll be interesting to see whether... Robertson or Henderson end up playing for Scotland and England the next round of games because, you know, if there's any kind of doubts, I can't imagine Liverpool would want them to be playing. No, Theo, it does seem to, in quite a few ways, have been sort of worst-case scenario through this international break. Joe Gomez obviously picking up that knee injury and requiring surgery, but then everyone else, there seems to have been a question mark over them. Yeah, I was saying this earlier in our group. It seems like every single Liverpool player on international duty has either picked up an injury or scored a goal. It's been strange how there's so many headlines for all of them. And it's always going to be the case with so many games playing. That's why all the managers and all the players are coming out and saying there's been too much strain put on them. It's no surprise that players are breaking down with injuries. And how many international breaks do you have when you have to fit in three games? And now this is, what, the second in the space of a month, six weeks. And it's just... With Liverpool, considering the fixture list they had last year and everything, they are always going to be one of the teams that suffered the most because their players have been put under such pressure in the past 18 months. Um, the best way they can talk about it is that they have handled injuries well so far. Uh, Robertson, whilst he has picked up, I think it was a, a hamstring knock, they were saying that he could still play for Scotland. So you'd like to think, considering he plays through the pain barrier whenever he can, that he will be OK for Liverpool at the weekend. Jordan Henderson, he's the same breed, isn't he? But... They have lost Joe Gomez for the foreseeable. Um, and then if you've got this staggering injury list that has accumulated so far this season, it's like, well, could you have uh, Thiago back? Positive-wise from the internationals is at least Naby Keita. He's got a game, he's scored a goal. He's just, Jurgen Klopp will be praying that they all come back to Liverpool in one piece and then he can piece together a team that can do some good against Leicester. Just be a certainly interesting to see what the back four is going to look like because it could very well be what James Milner at full-back one wing 
Simicass at the other, Joel Matip with one of the kids. Yes, yeah, certainly could be the case. Matt, what's your take been on the international break and whether even it's it's worth keep going? Yeah, I mean, it's the international break, isn't it? It's been said plenty of times. It's it's ridiculous that teams have got three games in such a short spell. The fact that England are having to play three matches. I know not all of the, the players are playing in all of those three matches, but it just seems so unnecessary. I think the UEFA Nations League itself is, is probably unnecessary. Certainly the friendly was unnecessary against Ireland. We saw Everton's Seamus Coleman, I think, got injured in the build-up to that one. Joe Gomez, obviously, as well. So it is not just Liverpool that are picking up these injuries, but that's the frustration, isn't it, that it's coming with matches that probably the vast majority of, of Liverpool fans are, are probably not too fussed about with these internationals. It's As Theo says, it, it's just one after the other after the other. I suppose the positive thing is that Gino Wijnaldum got a couple of goals, I think. Roberto Firmino scored for Brazil. Minamino scored for Japan. It does seem to, to sort of be, you know, one or the other. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed that there's no more risks taken. Fingers crossed that, that Henderson is okay um, and Robertson doesn't play for, for Scotland. But I think, you know, obviously Andy Robertson is their captain. He's their best player. It is a competitive fixture for them on Wednesday night, I think, isn't it, in Israel? He has travelled. He's flown over there, or will do, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's it's probably one of those that is probably, unfortunately for Liverpool, not going to be Jurgen Klopp's uh, preferred option. But it's it's probably one of those that they just have to, to make do and, and see where they are when these players are back, probably altogether only on Friday ahead of the weekend. Yeah, let's get into our Q&A then. And we do have a number of questions, surprisingly, about injuries and internationals. Uh, collection from our Blood Red podcast Facebook group and the Blood Red YouTube community on the dedicated Blood Red YouTube channel. So if you're joining us on YouTube or Facebook, do uh, leave some questions in the comments. We will try and get to some live during the recording. But Dennis C.K. Pang from the Blood Red podcast Facebook group first up says... Do you think that Liverpool should ban their squad from further internationals this season? I know it's probably not possible, but it's frustrating that most of the first team could be missing for the Leicester game. Doyley, what's your take on that one? Because as I said to Matt, it, it sort of just seems as though every Liverpool player going away right now is picking up another injury. Uh, my take is A, no, and B, tough, basically. I think um, the thing is, if you ask the players whether they want to play for their countries, then they're going to say, yeah, aren't they? I mean, let, let's face it, Henderson is the vice-captain for England. Robertson's the captain for Scotland. You know, Ginny Wijnaldum is the captain for, for for Holland with Van Dijk being out. So these are important games for these players and that they, they want to play. And while they are aware that they, you know, they are running this risk, I, I think playing the three games in the, in the international break is just ridiculous. I think playing two is fair enough. I think everyone's got used to that. But playing the three, I'd, I don't agree with that. But Liverpool are just going to have to, you know, like in the old days where certain clubs had certain agreements over friendlies where people would play a certain amount of time, maybe they need to do something like that. But otherwise, just have to get on with it. I mean, there's only one more international break now, rest of the season, which is in March. And there's enough games being played after that for if anybody has any minor knocks for, for, for them to, to get over it. Yeah, JB Collett on the YouTube community, Theo, also says, should Liverpool refuse to allow their players on international duty for friendlies? And I suppose that's probably the big bugbear, isn't it? The friendlies that the players have sort of been having to play and Matt referring to before that there's now three games as opposed to two in these international windows. Uh, well, for starters, it's one of those where Liverpool cannot 
if they refuse to free up a player to go on international duty, then they get in trouble with FIFA, UEFA, whatever. We've seen it in the past. I think you remember when Joel Matip retired from international duty and he refused to be joining up with Cameroon for the Cup of Nations, that he wasn't allowed to play for Liverpool for that month, even though he had retired. Um, and it's always that clubs for these fixtures have to release their players. That's just how it is. That's how it's always been. The only exception, I think, is the Olympics with Mohamed Salah. But when we're in such an unprecedented time with the coronavirus pandemic, with so many fixtures, with the backlog and trying to get the season back on track, there should not be international friendlies in this window. There should not be any unnecessary games going ahead because what have you got to gain from it? These players are playing so much football now. It's not getting minutes in their legs. It's just to get an extra time with the international squads, which you can understand to an extent with, say, the Euros on the horizon. But it's not as though the international break is an extra week. They've just got the same window and stuck an extra game in it. And it's no wonder the players are breaking down. Someone needed to go from the top down. We're not doing these fixtures international for it. And these, we're going to abort them. Uh, Nations League whilst it doesn't seem that important. I can understand why it's a bit different because teams can qualify for the Euros via it. But UEFA could have intervened and said, well, we'll just have to go back to the old, old format for this next set just to protect the players, because what are they going to do if all these star names miss the Euros next year? Say like Van Dijk can't play in the European Championships. Say Cristiano Ronaldo gets a bad injury and breaks down. It's going to be detrimental for them. They want the players who are the best in the game to be playing in these tournaments. So they need to have had a look at it at some point to protect them. And it's just too late. And now, thankfully, as Doyley says, there's only one more break to go in this season. And then we're in the European Championships. And then I suppose, ironically, it could actually be a bonus for Liverpool because rather than having a break from the season, it's given the injured players something to aim for to keep them going. But yeah, friendlies is just, we've always hated them. They've always been a waste of time completely in normal seasons, never mind now where the strain on players is greater than ever. Say what you really think, Theo. Anyway, a couple from the Blood Red podcast Facebook group to put together here. Robin Nicholson says, uh, do we need to adapt and play less intensely to avoid further injuries this season? But in the Blood Red podcast Facebook group as well, Matt, Seb Cottle says, if at all, could this be a silver, silver lining that we have all of our injuries and will be forced into rotation via a rest and recovery from strain on players before? For the festive fixtures, a lot of teams might hit breaking point, as Liverpool are now, in a few weeks' time. Can you see any silver lining? I wouldn't necessarily call it a silver line. And I just think it's always been the case that every team in the Premier League, it won't just be Liverpool that, that get injuries. Obviously, at this moment in time, it does feel like every single day there's a new one that comes out or there's a new COVID test or you know, there's always some sort of problem. But I think Liverpool have got enough players that actually, if you were to pick the 11 to play Leicester, for example, if you were to pick that today, I know there's still a few days and there could still be a couple more injuries in that time. But it wouldn't be as bad as what you think, I don't think. I think Liverpool's squad is obviously much better than than lots of other teams around the Premier League. They're much more set up to be able to to cope with these things. And, you know, the, the squad is there for a reason. Takumi Minamino didn't even get onto the, the bench in the, the last game at Manchester City, for example. Not many teams would be in that sort of situation where they could have these players to, to come in. So is it a silver lining? I understand, you know, what, what Seb is saying there. I think there is a, a kind of a, a point in that. But I just think it, it's, it's going to happen to all teams across the, the course of a season. And, you know, other fans and, and other people might be looking at, at Liverpool at the moment and thinking, you know, wow, look at look at them, almost laughing at, at Liverpool. But 
I think that could potentially come back to, to bite them at some point, whether that's, you know, the, the festive period, whether that's towards the, the back end of the season. I think, you know, we've seen plenty of times, you know, Leicester last season, for example, they seem to, to be right up there up until Christmas and then kind of dropped off a cliff a little bit at, at the end of the season. I think, you know, as much as we've had a bizarre start to the season in, in many ways, I think that potentially could continue. And at the end of the season, we could be looking at, at other teams in, in similar situations to what Liverpool are now. So, yeah, a silver lining to an extent, but I just think it, it's one of those things. You you could probably have predicted that this was going to happen, maybe not to, to quite this extent, but certainly in, in terms of injuries, I think most people knew that that was going to happen coming into the season. And that's why Liverpool have got themselves a, a big squad to pick from. Yeah, good point. Uh, final one then on injuries. Dolly, I'll ask you this one. Zara Aimer from the YouTube community saying, what are your expectations for this season after the huge amount of injuries? Will Liverpool, I suppose, the question being, still be targeting sort of trophies on all fronts? Because it has been really debilitating this injury list. I suppose we'll only really see the impact of it once the uh, team get back into action. Well, what they could do, one good thing is the fact that they've already won three games in the Champions League, so they, they only really need to win one game. Then they can put that to bed till I think it's March. Is it March or it's late March, early April? which will help because that's another four or five months off and they, they can get the players fit or, or may possibly sign somebody in January. I'm sure we'll get asked about that as well. In terms of the season as a whole, they're already at the League Cup, as we know. I think finishing in the top four is the absolute... Well, it's been the bourbon of them anyway for a few years, but I think finishing the top four, if they don't buy anybody in January in terms of a centre-back, is probably going to be the best that, that, that they're going to get. But what could easily happen is that... <clears throat> You know, I've talked to somebody else about this before, actually. Uh, somebody asked me the question on Twitter, what do you think will be a good return for the next eight games before the transfer window opens? They said 18. I said, I reckon 14, which would be four wins, two draws, two defeats. Nobody's going to win all eight games. So Liverpool would still be within about five points going into the new year. And because the season started later and the transfer window opens still, up, still opens at the same time, if they buy somebody very early January, they'd still have about... 20 games to go in the Premier League. And that's an awful lot. It's more than half a season. And if you get a settled team in that respect, and if that's if they do need to bring somebody in at centre-back because, as we know, Klopp will give the players there a chance. And while we're not expecting, you know, Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk back, possibly until the end of the season, um, there's still Joel Matip, there's still Favinho, uh, there's, you know, there's Reese Williams, there's there's Nat Phillips. There are options for, for Jurgen Klopp. He even play Jordan Henderson there. But how they do over the next six weeks will determine how strong Liverpool look at getting in another centre-back in January and that will ultimately determine whether or not they feel they can go for the league but as I said the Champions League if they can't go for the league will become an even greater priority and possibly even a run in the FA Cup as well The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Doily I'll stay with you and you preempted it there transfers next topic for us to get into. And Katie Suarez says, do you think due to Liverpool's current predicament, uh, specifically in terms of defensive injuries, that we should go out and secure the January signing of a top defender, despite the FSG model would bring real competition for places in the team at centre-half? Do you think then Liverpool are likely to dip into the market, Doily? Yeah, see my previous answer. <laughs> well, I think... If you look at Liverpool, Liverpool actually done quite well in, in January bringing in defenders. I think uh, they, they brought Pellegrino in in Benitez's first season. Who, while he wasn't massive success, what he did do is he allowed 
Sammy Hippies would be rested and they ended up winning the Champions League on the back of that. Uh, then, then they brought in Daniel Agger in the January, Martin Skirtland, of course, Virgil van Dijk. So they have made these moves for these types of players in this, what's supposedly the more difficult uh, transfer window. Um, but I think, you know, knowing Liverpool, knowing FSG, you know, the model was mentioned then, that they'll have plans, a strategy in place, because they'll have known that, you know, um, you know, Joel Matip is not always fit, is he? Let's be honest. And with Dejan Lovren going, they're probably looking at getting in a centre-back next summer anyway. So the question then is whether they are able to bring forward a move to the January. And if they can, they might look to do that. But if they can't, then they are left with the decision. Well, we've got somebody coming in the summer. Did we just carry on the way we are? And again, that depends on how things have gone over the next six or seven weeks because they'll be able to make a more, consider- more considered view because as I say, they're probably going to be working on the basis that Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk aren't going to be playing again this season. And even if even if they do come back, they're not going to be at the best because they both suffered serious injuries. They'll need a little time to to get back being fit. So personally, I would look to sign a centre-back in January. I think it would have to be somebody who you would look to be either the third or fourth choice. But then... You know, then then the struggle is well, how much money you, do you want to pay for somebody like that, and who would who would want to come? But if Liverpool are doing all right, then the, the, there's a certain tier of defender who would be good enough to play, you know, every other game or one in three, and would have a very good chance of winning a trophy. Liverpool, where whatever club they're at at the moment, they might not. And you know, Liverpool have shown with the signing the likes of Andy Robertson from Hull, you know, even taking the taking Wayne Alder from Newcastle, they've taken them from relegated clubs. And while they were full internationals for their countries, they've ended up turning them into European, World and Premier League champions. So if you're going to trust anybody to get this right, you'd have to trust Liverpool and their uh, recruitment team. Yeah, certainly. Matt, what's your take on it? Would you like to see Liverpool bring in a, a centre-half in the January window or do you think they can get through to the uh, the end of the season? I mean, they can get through to the end of the season, of course they can, but I think it would be a bit of a shame and a a bit of a waste if we got to the end of this season, they hadn't done anything in January, and then you look back and and thought, what if? We've said it you know, plenty of times that that has happened in the past, where you wondered, could Liverpool have maintained a a better title challenge, or could they gone on to to have won a trophy had they brought somebody in in January just to to supplement that squad? But I think what we've seen so far under FSG is to, to come back to the the original question that was posed is, as Doily said, that they will stick fairly rigidly to a plan. They will know in their mind two or three targets, as we saw with someone like Diogo Jota over the summer. There was a couple of other names on that list. If they can get one of those names that they were potentially looking at for the summer in January for the right price without paying over the top and you know without having to, to go about things any differently other than the, the time difference of, of six or so months, I think obviously it, it makes sense for Liverpool to do that. But the one thing we know is that they won't, you know, make any sort of knee-jerk reaction. They won't bring anybody in if they don't think it's the right person or, or the right player at the right time. So, you know, the, there's so many names that have been mentioned for me. Open Meccano makes a great deal of sense. But of course, the caveat with that is that he has a release clause next summer. I'm sure, you know, Liverpool will know exactly what that is. And if they are interested in him, I'm sure he would be, you know, a decent option for them. But the question then is, well, if he is for example, and I'm not saying necessarily that this is the case, but if he was the one that they decided they wanted, in that case, they would probably wait until the summer just to to make sure that that release clause was there and they got him for the right price. So, yeah, I think there could be a situation where Liverpool don't. I think then a lot of people would question that. But 
I suppose you, you can only go back and historically when they have made those decisions, they waited six months, of course, for, for Virgil van Dijk. They got through that period and, and they were fine and, and reaped the rewards long term. So, yeah, you can only go off what they've done in the past. I think Liverpool, you just have to essentially trust them to, to make that right call. Yeah, Theo, then I'll, I'll come to you with the, the final question on the centre-back signing issue. Do we need a centre-half in January or do we give the kids a chance until Virgil van Dijk and Gomez are back? And that's Alan Robb on the YouTube community who's asked that one. So is it worth giving the kids a go? Billy the Kid, one of them, who's now Billy the Man, I suppose, celebrated his birthday over the weekend. Um, well, the kids are going to get chances in the next few weeks before the window opens. And it's then, well, how do you value them? Because we knew Nat Phillips, he's ready for senior football. He's not going to be at standard Liverpool, but he played at a decent level with Stuttgart last season. And it's why he's made decent approach when he's had a, his opportunity against, uh, was it West Ham the other week? And then you've got Reese Williams. He's done well in the Champions League. Malik Messio, I think he's still young. He's still raw. Uh, it'd be a bit of a gamble if you had him in for the foreseeable. But they've got these talent. This is what you expect with young players. If you don't play them, they're not going to get better. They're not going to learn from the mistakes. And then it's just the pressure from that uh, scenario where if they make mistakes and they play, can they play through it and improve? Or is it going to destroy a young player? It's all on their mentality. Everyone's different. And it's what is better Liverpool going forward. Like Nat Phillips out of those three is probably the better one in terms of senior experience but he's the one, you know, doesn't have a long-term future at Liverpool. It would take something sensational for him to be in a situation where next summer he is still at the club, no matter how well he plays, because when you've got Van Dijk and Gomez coming back, he's still not going to get the opportunities there. Uh, Kometio, we know how well Jurgen Klopp rates him. He spoke so highly over him over the summer, and he's made similar noises about Reese Williams in recent weeks. But they're still young players who... You can't really see them both getting opportunities when everyone's fully fit. So they're almost fighting against each other. Um, but we've got the transfer window for them to state their claim to see why Liverpool might not want to strengthen. For me, there's a happy compromise there because whilst Liverpool might be holding the cards close to the chest, not wanting to go and make a big signing in the winter months when you know you've got the two defenders coming back at the end of the season. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, you have got the Euros coming up at the end of the year and there will be players who aren't getting game time who might want to look for a loan move. So I just think if you look at Chelsea, for example, when they've got Tamori, who could, with the run of games, potentially get in the England squad. You've got Rudiger, who will be looking to get in the Chelsea squad. Now, I'm not saying um, get in the Germany squad. Now, I'm not saying you get one of them, but there are going to be so many players like that who will want games. And you could potentially sign someone online and then reassess next summer. When Liverpool have got so many players coming back from injury, you don't want to overstock your squad. And it's all very well given the youngsters opportunity of them doing well and then praising them. But if you're going to go and spend 50 million on a centre-back in January, then you're just putting them right to the bottom of the pile again and they're just going to sit there gathering dust. Yeah, so it is an interesting one. Let's get on to some wider squad issues then. And uh, Doyley, come to you with this one. Neil Copes in the Blood Red podcast Facebook group says, is it time to trust Nabi lad? Of course, John about Nabi Keita said he's followed him since his time in Germany and feels with a run of games, he has the potential to be world-class, but does need a run of games. He does stress that. And he feels that maybe Keita and Ox are in a similar position regarding that. Obviously, Oxlade-Chamberlain is one of the injured players at Liverpool right now. But do you think we're getting to a stage with Keita that he now needs to be thrown in and, and given a chance? <laughs> Has he shouted that at us? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, the thing is with Cater, he, 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 he was. At the start of the season, he was given a chance. He was starting the game, wasn't he? He was starting until he, he picked up the uh, the injury and then it kind of went 
you know, he hasn't quite got over that yet, or, or whatever reason it was that he was out. But you know, he's back now, as as was said before. He's, he scored an international duty this week. He'll have another game, I think, coming up. I think it's tomorrow. It could be today, actually. But uh, but yeah, he's 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 a player who. It's it's an interesting one with Cater, isn't it? Because he's they're all going to get chances between now and certainly January. Um, but once Thiago's back, once you know Henderson when he's fit, one Alden they've got one Alden. Curtis Jones has come in and done quite well. So the thing in central midfield, there are enough players there for people if they don't have a particularly good game or they drop out injured, then somebody else is coming in and making the most of their opportunity and. Having said that, because of the way rotation is going to be over the next couple of months, probably throughout the rest of the season, actually, they are all going to get chances. It's, in, it's an interesting point, though, about Cater and his run against because he's somebody who hasn't really had a lot of consecutive games for Liverpool. He did well towards the end of last season because he had his run of games. Started OK this season as well because of his run of games. But I wonder whether or not he'll be allowed to do that simply because of the, as I say, the rotation club will look to, to introduce into midfield and also the fact that he's not a player that traditionally stays fit for, for, for too long. He, get, he gets one or two minor issues and that, that tends to affect him a little bit. But I don't think there's any questions now of whether or not he can do it for Liverpool because he has he has done it. He has done it. He's been part of the team. You know, he was part of the team that won the that won the league last year. He's he started off well enough this season. So it's when Klopp decides it's not a question of whether or not to trust him. It's it's just whether Klopp feels there are certain games where he's a better option can you know can, can compared to the ones that he's already got, and depending on who Liverpool are actually playing. I think we may have lost Guy there. So, uh, I think we've lost him, yeah. If, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, we can I'm hear back. you. I'm here, yeah. I was, I was, I was uh, cracking a, a witty joke about how we should all get, is it time to trust Navi Lad t-shirts? Hilarious. Yeah, great stuff. Right, big question then. Come to you with this one, Matt. Ben Francis Bond says, do you think this is the best form we've seen from Mo Salah since his first season with us? Uh, it's a, a tricky one to assess. I, I was reading through the, the comments and the questions before and I think there is an argument to say that he is at his best. I think he's scoring at a better rate per minute of him being on the pitch than he has been at, at other times, even in that first season. I think so far he has been very, very good. Of course, there's been a couple of penalties in that sort of period as well. But uh, look, he's he's one of those players that I think has always consistently been very, very good. I think there's been a couple of conversations around people like Sadio Mane and Virgil van Dijk. And I suppose it, it's almost almost taking it back on a, a rotation, isn't it? We've sort of had new players come into this Liverpool team. It's been their time to shine, their time to be the main man. And, and maybe it's just time with van Dijk injured and maybe with Mane having his you know season of being the main man over the last couple of years. Maybe it's just time for people to, to have that spotlight back on Mohamed Salah again. So, Look, the early signs are good. If he can continue to, to score at the same rate and, and do the same sort of things that, that he's been doing this season for the entirety of the season, you know, he could go on and, and get, you know, close to, to 40 goals this season. Who knows? It's it's a very exciting time. I think a couple of people have, have sort of spoken about Mohamed Salah and sort of, as I say, compared him to, to one or two other seasons that he's had or, or compared him to a couple of other players. But I think what he's shown so far this season is that what he is best at, which is putting the ball in the back of the net. He is still very, very consistently good at, at doing things like that. So as long as he keeps scoring for Liverpool and keeps doing what he is doing, as I said before, I don't think the injuries can, can derail Liverpool too much because if you've got Salah scoring, you know, nearly a, a goal a game or whatever he's doing so far this season, 
that's certainly an advantage. Theo, do you think we should use the 4-2-3-1 formation more often with Salah on the right, Mane on the left, Bobby just behind Jota up top because it was used against Sheffield United and Man City and it can prove really deadly. What's your opinion? Um, it depends who Liverpool are playing uh, week in, week out, but Jurgen Klopp will always choose the best system for the game. Uh, we saw it against Manchester City because of the options limited elsewhere. But it's why Liverpool brought in so many of these attacking players so they can have these options. So if Firmino's not at the top of his game scoring goals, well, just put him as an attacking midfielder. We've still got Takumi Minamino, who's Matt mentioned earlier, uh, wasn't even on the bench against Manchester City. Jordan Shakiri's found life again. We'll have Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back from injury. I think Naby Keita can even play as a number 10. So it's one of those where Jurgen Klopp will always look at it on a game-by-game -game basis and choose the best system, the best players appropriately with who's in form. And with this season, when you've got players' fitness issues, runner games and stuff with rotating, we're used to have Paul rotating in midfield. But now it's going to be the case in the front three as well or front four in some games. Uh, we saw, obviously, in the Champions League, that is where Jurgen Klopp has rotated so far. Like subbing all three of them, was it? Or bring them on on the hour mark. And it's something that is going to continue. And it is just what is best for the team at the time. Uh, what is beautiful about most of these Liverpool players is that they're so flexible that Salah can play up front or he can play on the right. Mane can play any of the front three positions. Yota can play on either flank. Minamino can play in any of the three, so on and so forth. So it's uh, simplistic to say Liverpool should have this favoured formation with these players in this position, this position, and this position, because Jurgen Klopp is just going to unleash them and whilst you can shape them up in this system at the start of the game, it's going to be completely different over the course of the 90 minutes because they'll just be free to play their best game and cause most damage wherever they're on the pitch. It's the key to everything. Play the best formation that suits Mohamed Salah because he seems to be in, in red-hot form so far this season. Yeah, the key is to play the formation that suits him. Just I think just he plays in one or two positions, doesn't he? Either on the right wing cutting in or up front. And wherever he's played this season, he's been performing very well. I think that's something that, you know, as Theo just said, Klopp can rely on all of these players moving around and playing in these different positions. So he's got a lot of leeway in that regard. I mean, you've seen Jota play down the middle, didn't he, against Atalanta and scored a hat-trick. But the, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was going to play down the middle against Manchester City because it's a completely different uh, team they're up against and they needed some different skills. That's why I think it was back to it was Firmino and, and Salah, wasn't it? So Jota was on the right. So I think Liverpool do have this, you know, tactical flexibility. I think... In terms of getting the best out of Salah, I think he's now reached that particular level where it doesn't matter where he plays. He tends to be getting the best out of himself because he's such an intelligent footballer that he, uh, he he's able to do things like that. Uh, last one on the squad before we finish on a, a couple of others. Uh, Matt, come to you with this one. Against Leicester, should it be Shakiri, Jota and Mane or Jota, Bobby and Mane? What would your attack be looking like? Because we've spoken about Salah, but he's not going to be available. Yeah, it's a very, very difficult one to, to think about, isn't it? I think I would be tempted to go with a Shakiri in the front line. Uh, obviously, I think Jota and Mane would be alongside him. Um, but of course, we've seen you know Roberto Firmino in these sort of end-to-end -end games, which I think it, it possibly could be against Leicester. They do suit him. But I do think Shakiri does have a chance to, to play. I think it's probably the first time, really, that... <clears throat> that uh, Mohamed Salah has, has not been in uh, in the team or, or available at the same time as Shakiri. Off the top of my head, I can't think of of too many instances where Shakiri will have seen a, a real genuine opening for him to, to go into the team and 
essentially be first choice with Mohamed Salah looking like he's going to be absent for the weekend. So, yeah, it's a, a rare opportunity, I think, for, for Shakiri, And it, it could be a little bit of a, an indicator, I think, for his long-term future. Obviously, we know he could very easily have, have left over the summer. You know, if, if he does get the nod, I think that would be a testament, really, to the, the start to the season that he's had and, and the standing that he still has with Jurgen Klopp. I think there's a, a good chance that, that Firmino could play. Of course, we know that, that Jurgen Klopp still trusts Firmino and obviously played him against Manchester City. I thought he'd know OK, certainly in the, the first half in, in that match. But my personal preference would just be to, to give Shakiri a go. And I suppose primarily that would give him an opportunity, but it would also give the, the chance for, for Jota to be down the middle again, which uh, I think is certainly something that, that myself and, and probably a lot of, of Liverpool fans watching would quite like to see that as well. Yeah, I think it might make the basis of a fair bit of Friday afternoon's Blood Red podcast with our team selection. Let's get into uh, a couple of quick ones to finish off. We'll all have our say on this one. Pro Gaming, Theo, you're first up, asks, start one, bench one, sell one. Henderson, Trent and Salah. Theo, you're, you're first up here. <laughs> nice, easy one wow. to start with. <laughs> um, start Salah, bench Trent, sell Henderson. Wow. Doily? I agree, simply because Henderson's older than the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. And Matt, is that how you feel as well? Yeah, again, it, it was a question I had a look at before and thought, how on earth do you answer that? But I think, actually, when you think about it, you wouldn't want to sell Mohamed Salah, given the form that he's in. Trent Alexander-Arnold, of course, could go on the bench. And, yeah, I think Henderson... That's not to, to say anything against Jordan Henderson, because he is fantastic, but I think... Alexander Arnold has a, a higher ceiling than Mohamed Salah at this stage is performing at a higher level. I suppose there's a deeper question there then. If you're going to sell Henderson, how do you replace him? And is that something Liverpool are going to have to start considering in the next sort of few transfer windows? Because if you're saying he's, he's getting on and age is ticking for him, then there is going to have to be a replacement who does come in. That may be one for another day. Last one then to get into Dan Portis in the Blood Red podcast Facebook group says... With the move to the AXA <laughs> Trading Centre, what other things would you like to see named after current or former players? Maybe the Joel Matip physio suite, the Shakiri leg press machine, or the Mane barber chair? The vet, the Vegard Hegem treatment room, surely. I mean, anyone who remembers <laughs> him, he was, he, he, I think his full name was Vegard Hegem is doubtful because that's what he was <laughs> doing a week. That's going on. That's going back about twenty years for anybody who can't remember. That. In fact, it's more than twenty years, isn't it? Well, it, it just feels like it. Um, don't know. Well, open to the others. Uh, would we have to have a what a Luis Suarez or a Mohamed Salah swimming pool because they're so good at diving? If you listen, listen to the funders, oh. yeah, I like that. That's that's quite you a good take. Luis Suarez canteen, good for a bite. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any, I... any throwing yourself, Matt? I am struggling to, to come up with some. This this question comes about because the, the, there's a door that's been named after James Milner, isn't it? I am right in thinking that. Yeah, yes. he requested. Yeah, was it he requested something to be named after him? And yeah, therefore got his wish. And uh, yeah, I think Theo. I think Doyle. Actually, I think you probably win there with the canteen, Luis Suarez. I uh, I like that one. That was a good one to finish things <laughs> off. We've uh, a better Arsenal fan there. <laughs> yes, <I'm fine. laughs> He's never going to join you. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, anyway, thanks for joining us here on the uh, Blood Red channel. I'm glad the internet actually held up in the end. So thanks to those who sent their questions in and those who have joined us live, whether that be on the uh, 
Liverpool Echo Facebook page or the Blood Red YouTube channel. It is more than appreciated. Of course, we'll be back on Friday with the Blood Red podcast, looking ahead to the game with Leicester City on Sunday. Until then, though, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.